Welcome to Verified Rx, your prescription for success. Brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. Data governance is key to ensuring appropriate access to information. A purposeful approach is critical to protecting information systems. Pharmacy services are not immune, as data mismanagement compromises system security. This is the final in our three-part series on cybersecurity and downtime preparedness. I'm Gretchen Brummel, Pharmacy Executive Director in the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence and your program host. With me today are my Vizient colleagues, Michael Ostrander, AVP of Data Governance, and Randy Gerwitz, Senior Consulting Director in Pharmacy Solutions, to share their expertise. Welcome, both of you. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Gretchen. Mike, this is Randy's third visit to Verified Rx, and our listeners have gotten to know him pretty well. So can you tell us a little bit about your role here at Vizient? Uh, certainly. So my role is uh, I lead the data governance team for Vizient's offerings. This includes our clinical data, our spend data, our operational and quality data, pretty much all of our member-facing data solutions. What this includes for us is data processes and best practices, rules for use of data, and really navigating the intersections of our security teams and compliance rules and privacy obligations, technical needs, and business needs. It's trying to bring all of that together and helping all of our stakeholders navigate that to deliver value and quality for our members. So you oversee quite a bit. Can you define data governance for our listeners? You can do a Google search and you'll find lots of stuff out there. And one of the things that usually pops up is that data governance is somewhat in the eye of the beholder. It can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For this particular conversation, I really like to use a definition from the Data Governance Institute. Data governance is a system of decision rights and accountabilities for information-related processes. Within Vizient, I put a little bit of a different spin on that. What we tell all of our stakeholder teams and all of our product and development teams is that data governance is about getting the right data to the right users at the right time and the right tools the right way. We basically apply this a couple different ways, one of them being transparency around metadata or data assets, what's out there, how things work. Not necessarily the content of those data assets, like we're not making all data available to all people, but everybody should know what's out there and at least how to access resources about them if they need to learn or figure out if it applies to their roles. It's also about explicitly defining owners of data. Who's our SMEs? Who's our experts in any particular data set? It's about being transparent in our processes, transparent in decision-making, including times where maybe there isn't clear guidance and it's just an executive decision, something arbitrary but at least highlighting where those happen and who the decision maker is. It gets us into audits of data or how it's being used or what it's doing inside of it. And then last but not least, it's a lot of policy and procedure about data use and production, development, testing systems, things like that. That's really helpful. Mike, how does data governance interplay with the concept of data integrity? Data integrity is often discussed in the context of how does data relate to each other. If you just have a data set that doesn't have any linkage to a standard, a terminology, another system, another data set or anything else, then really it's just a pile of ones and zeros. It's just sitting there. What makes it usable is some common understanding within that data, how it links to a standard that other folks know how to read or how it links to another system, either upstream or downstream. It's those relationships that really make it mean something. That's where all of your semantic value comes from. A lot of times you'll see the term integrity in the context of data models, database design, things like that. And you'll see it enforced in the you know, foreign keys and primary keys and stuff like that. At a more fundamental and a business or governance level, it's really those relationships, defining what they are, where they go, what they do, essentially. 
thinking back to Dr. Malishok's story about their downtime process in their pharmacy, one of the things that struck me was the data integrity piece of it is knowing what data you have, what data you need, where it's going and what it's supporting. It's that both the upstream pieces as well as the downstream pieces. In their scenario, dealing with the downtime and ultimately with a recovery as well, that map of where the data is coming from and where it's going and who uses it and who's producing what you need so that you can do your job, that's your dependencies, essentially. You have to know what parts you're responsible for, what other people are responsible for, and who those people are. And then you have to figure out how you're going to work together with those. In data system design, you're automating all of those pieces. You've got interfaces, you've got files that are moving around, you've got HL7 messages and ADT messages and all that stuff that's doing it for you. But in her scenario, it was very obvious that they quickly had to figure out how to do that again, but they had to do it manually. Although the governance question of which pieces did they have, who did they have to share it with, what was it, who had ultimate responsibility in different places, it was really still the same question. I would agree, Mike. From a clinician perspective, we certainly wouldn't think of it in those terms. We just think in terms of who needs what, when, and how do we get it to them. What you're describing is spot on. It doesn't really matter whether we're doing it electronically or if we have to figure out how to do it manually on paper. The interplay between those disciplines still becomes exceptionally important. She also mentioned there's an issue with room numbers. They're going back to their downtime procedure. They're doing all of this handwriting of orders, and presumably they've got runners moving paper around or doing something with it. And it very quickly popped out that they needed room numbers. They were having an issue with keeping track of which patients were in which place and were supposed to receive which pharmaceuticals. From a governance perspective, that room number tied to the order is something we would call a critical data point or a critical piece of data. This process doesn't work unless you have this data. And data governance is helping to tease out those things. Part of the discipline is finding what are those key pieces of data? What are your critical data that has to be there for a given process, function, or things like that? I appreciate that example to tie it all back together to help with the definition. Why is it important to limit data access and what does that look like? It probably depends on who you ask. The users that are going to consume your data, they're thinking in terms of either I need everything because my job is broad and encompasses a lot of things, or they're looking at it from the perspective of the amount of time it takes to get approved for something. To them, it may look like, well, just give me everything and I'll figure out what I need later because it takes too long to figure out exactly what it is and go ask for it piecemeal. Thinking back to Pete's side of things and the cybersecurity, there's also the concept of a threat landscape or a surface of attack. One of the things it gets into is that a supposed malicious attacker, if they get into your system through a compromised account, like they take over Randy's account, maybe, they're not going to do what Randy was supposed to be doing with that account. They're going to do whatever they can do. If we've given Randy access to too much stuff or things that are really outside of the job scope, they're probably going to discover that and take advantage of it. And now we have a problem. There's a certain amount of limiting your risk by closely matching that user's role with what they actually have access to, which again, comes back to the governance side. Hey, you have to know your data. Somebody's got to know it. You have to know what it's supposed to be used for. You have to know what job functions are out there and what those job roles are. And you have to marry those together and keep them married together. So I can see that by limiting your access up front, you're basically limiting your exposure to risk if there is an incursion down the line. Absolutely. Mike, is that a really hard thing to maintain over time for most organizations as people's roles change and things sort of evolve? There, there certainly can be challenges. One of the things you'll probably see if you look at any organization, because I don't think anyone has it perfectly mastered, employees that have long tenures within a job. That's usually one of your risk points in terms of data access, because people tend to collect permissions 
And there's usually some gaps in the processes that audit what are you supposed to have now or has your job changed from what it was originally described as? Everybody's jobs evolve. As those evolutions happen, of course, your needs change. It's very challenging sometimes to go back and review what did we give out before and is it still appropriate to have? In Vizient, one of the things we do is keep an eye on job changes. If you have a title change or a manager change or something else, we have a team that will go back and audit, at least for very sensitive data assets, which do you have access to? And if any of those pop up, we'll go back and look and say, has your job role changed? Is it still appropriate for you to have this? If not, we'll basically send you through our access management process again so that all of our stakeholders can essentially revet the access, figure out if they still need it or at least document the approvals again. Even with that, there's still a risk that we're not catching everything. Every provider organization, every technology organization has some of the same challenges. Randy, how do you see that type of activity in the pharmacy? It's very similar. As people's roles change over time, let's say someone started out within the organization as a staff pharmacist and grew through the ranks to a clinical coordinator and then to some sort of other administrative role, along the way, they could have easily gained access to things that then in their new role they may not need. And I guess, theoretically, even in the reverse. So if someone was currently in an administrative role and due to their own personal needs or needs of the organization, they moved back into, let's say, a bedside role. A lot of us in administrative roles have had that desire at times. Like, Let me just go back to seeing patients. So let's say you actually did make that move. If you didn't ratchet back some of those administrative accesses that you had previously, one could certainly be able to access information that is no longer important to their job role. Going back to that concept of limiting data access to the role, Randy, how have you seen this be frustrating to frontline practitioners? If you talk to any practitioner of any sort, they think they should have access to everything just because I might need it. It's a very common trait, maybe a little bit more common for any of us that worked in facilities that had a research component to them. Researchers are always looking for the next research opportunity. Well, if I have access to data, well, I can go hunting a little bit. I can search around and might give me ideas or you know, I might stumble on to an opportunity. doesn't mean you should have that opportunity. just means you want that opportunity. It's human nature. We're all curious. We all want to see what's available and make a determination as to whether or not I need that based on what I see, as opposed to trusting someone to tell me that, no, you don't need that. Sure. I can understand that. Mike, is that your experience as well? It has been. And Randy, you brought up an interesting point around the research side of things as well. One of the things that we're usually trying to keep an eye on was most data-driven people, there's a certain passion for data and analytics and answering questions. That's natural and that's part of what makes them very good at their jobs. But it's easy to slip into a, a mindset that because I can touch a certain piece of data, I'm allowed to use it or I'm allowed to do whatever I need for it. And kind of forgetting that some data tends to be tied to specific uses and use cases. This comes up a lot in you know, clinical research areas where if you're doing your treatment care and operations type functions, you can access PHI and you can access almost anything you want out of the EMR as long as it's related to treating that patient. But as soon as you put on that research hat, you have to have certain types of consent to touch that patient's data. You have to have certain consent to even review it. You might have to go through IRB approvals. There's all sorts of other checks and balances that come into place. For people that are sitting, that have both of those hats on, now they have to be very conscious about today, I'm doing this function for research, so I have to treat data this way. Tomorrow, I'm doing this other thing, I'm taking care of patients again, so I have to treat data that way. And then looking from our you know, cybersecurity angle, this gets even more complicated because we might have given you rights to do both things. And they're both 
appropriate for your role. But now we've just expanded the potential risk of things that could go wrong if your account gets compromised. Shifting gears a little bit here, Mike, what are the legal implications? I'm not an attorney, so don't take this as any kind of legal advice. Anything related to patient care generally becomes part of the patient's medical record. And as part of that medical record, it is in many ways a legal document of what's been happening. When in normal operations, you have your EMR, which has certain guardrails and guides around you know, what to document, when to document, how to document, and things like that. But when you go into something like a downtime event and you're reverting to paper processes, you lose all those guardrails. It's important to remember that everything that you're writing down on paper or keying into whatever custom build application, or if you made an ad hoc database to, to help out, all that information is still ultimately related to that patient care, which means at some level, something goes wrong. It is discoverable by legal teams, litigation, action, things like that. It's important to keep in mind, there's still a ethical responsibility to document what's happening to the patient, what care is being delivered. But you also want to be very careful that it's relevant. You're not putting in additional information that creates noise, or it's going to frankly cause problems later as you're trying to eventually get your system back up and put all this information in. You want to make sure it's still focused on what actually matters for that patient. Part of the governance angle with that is also at some point, you're going to take this information and you're going to put it back into your systems once they're recovered. So how do those fit together? Is it going to work? Or have you gone off in some direction to create things that actually aren't normally part of your processes and is going to create noise or clutter or just going to be a problem for the future? Randy, what are your thoughts? Guardrails and safeguards that we build into the electronic record are painting a clear, concise, efficient picture of what's transpired in the care of that patient are very important. When we lose those, it's very tempting for people to go off the rails a little bit at times, either take shortcuts and not completely document what's occurring or potentially offer opinion where opinion may not be appropriate, just add confusing clutter to the conversation and really cloud the overall picture as to what is actually transpiring of that patient and what's important to their care. From my perspective, there's also the portion where you're still trying to treat patients without the assistance of all these electronic systems you have, whether it's through failover to a redundant system or restoring from backups, or hopefully we don't have to go so far as actually rebuilding things from scratch. But at some point, you'll get your electronic systems back again. Going back to what is data governance, part of it is looking at the data you've created, the information you've created, your orders, your dispensations, what's been administered, all that information. At some point, that's going to go back in your system. And then that system is going to have to be able to work with all of the other systems around it, which means your data then has to play with the systems for dispensing or systems out on the floors or even your ADT and all those other things that are out there. They're both upstream and downstream of your piece of the entire patient care flow. Your data is going to have to link to all of those as well. So making sure that your downtime processes also match your uptime processes, at least as well as they can. So you're producing data that's coherent, that can be linked in later on. You can use that to recreate whatever has to be created at the end of your downtime. So who do our frontline practitioners look to for assistance if they don't fall into any of these pitfalls during downtime? Usually the starting point is somewhere within each hospital and health system, there's some team tasked with uh, disaster recovery or business continuity or return to operations or any term along those lines. But ideally, there should be some plan in place for what to do if you lose system ABC or you lose the whole data center or you lose some other critical piece. 
you can start with looking to those for guidance, but ultimately it's probably going to come down to the leadership of your specific department. What are your processes? You need to know what everybody else is doing, but you also have to mind your own house as well. What do you do in these cases? How many different scenarios have you thought through? What happens to all the data you create? What is the most key data that you create and that you manage in, in the whole patient care journey? A lot of the departments will become very much interdependent when you go to downtime. For a lot of organizations, their disaster plan, their disaster management policies tend to be a little bit generic. It's a, an opportunity to potentially cover a lot of different scenarios, which may not be the best fit for this type of an event or the duration of this type of an event. At that point, folks will generally start turning to each other for guidance and can you help me? Certainly in the case of pharmacy, which is my focus, if it's got anything to do with a medication, how do I order this? How do I receive this? How do I administer it? How do I write a prescription that a retail pharmacy will actually honor? Those are questions that are likely to come back to pharmacy that are outside of the pharmacy department. You start thinking about your internal customers. And certainly in, in the case of pharmacy, your largest internal customers tend to be nurses, physicians, respiratory therapists, other practitioners that are directly providing the medications that you supply to the patient. And a lot of questions related to how do I do all of that when I've lost my systems? Frequently come back to pharmacy at any level. Those questions will be fielded by pharmacy technicians, by staff pharmacists, by the admin staff, you name it. It's uh, pretty much all hands on deck when systems really truly fail. It's unlikely that any single person can address all of those questions as they come along. I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes to paraphrase General Eisenhower. Plans are mostly worthless, but planning is everything. I think that comes into these scenarios as well. The governance side of it comes back to that idea of somebody has to know your data. There's an irreducible problem in any organization, hospitals especially. Somebody has to know that data that's out there. If, if you don't have that, you really don't have anything. Knowing what that data is and knowing who that person is who knows that part of the data, those are the people you bring in to think through the plans, think through the scenarios, think through what's going on there. Like you mentioned, Randy, your biggest customers are the nurses out on the floors, out in the units, areas like that. They're experts in their part of the data. People in the pharmacy are experts on their part of the data. Getting those two people to talk to each other and understand what they each manage and are experts in and then how those interface with, with each other. That's the kind of planning that really makes the stuff work well. When everything else breaks down, it comes down to having the right people talking to each other about the right topics. That's what gets us all through. And having some forethought. If this was to happen, if we break this, how do we continue to do what we do until somebody fixes it for us? For a lot of us in our roles, we don't really understand how this piece of data interplays with that piece of data, how the whole thing gets put together. We just understand our little piece of the pie. They just know what they have to do. And it goes into the ether someplace and out, comes out the other side is information. And we're, we're happy living in our ignorance. These sorts of events force people to address that ignorance and think about it a little bit. Absolutely. You allude to another point about things that are taken for granted. You have your system. It does what it's supposed to do. You trust it. You're working with it. Something happens somewhere else and hopefully the patients get treated. But when you're looking at scenarios like an outage or downtime or cybersecurity event, you have to kind of be willing to think outside the box, not just, hey, what if I lose this system? Can I do my job for three days until it comes back? Sometimes you also got to think of worst case scenario. Well, what if it takes longer than that? 
What if the state it comes back to isn't exactly where you left it? What if your IT team is taking backups? And what if it turns out the last three backups are all corrupted? So the best one you've got is, let's say, a month old or something like that, where you can get most of your stuff back, but you're still missing something. This is where your data experts come back in. They have to be able to look at how does this old system now relate to all the other current systems that are around it? Is there something we can rebuild? Is there some other place we can get this information from? Or some way we can reconstruct what we need to have? Or how do we work around this gap in our data now? Which again comes back to knowing who your experts are and being able to engage them in the right places. And what's your plan if your downtime is six weeks instead of six hours? Absolutely. And the recovery process. A lot of us think in terms of, well, the systems are back up. Things are back to normal. But I think Mike's raising a really good point here. There's a lag between all of the things that occurred during the downtime and when that information is put into the system electronically in whatever form. Certain things may ultimately just be scanned documents that are now part of the medical record. Other pieces of information may be essentially back entered into the systems. That's not something that's going to happen instantaneously. There will be a period of time where that patient could come back to the hospital or need to be seen somewhere else, and that information is not fully available electronically yet. And to maintain integrity of all of the data, how do you do that? And really ensure that you're not setting up other practitioners for a potentially difficult, if not catastrophic, event with that patient. It makes sense for everybody to also remember what the overarching purpose is. We're all here working for hospitals or you know, patient care. It's about taking care of those patients. It's not about just collecting your paycheck, although that's important too, but it's about taking care of everybody around us and helping them lead better lives as well. There's lots of examples through history of the way things sometimes break down in different types of events. And the ones that I think most people look back on most favorably are the ones where Everybody could still rally around that common vision of how do we take care of our patients, whether we don't have power, we don't have systems, or there's battles going on around us. But at the end of the day, it's can we take care of those patients? And that's what keeps people focused. That's what keeps them communicating. And ultimately, that's what gets them to that goal. It does kind of remind us, I mean, speaking of old medical sayings and expressions, there's a fitting one here. What's the difference between a good surgeon and a great surgeon? It's not that the great surgeon doesn't have complications. It's how they recover from those complications that makes the difference between the two. When I was long ago in shop class, I got a similar piece of wisdom that was the difference between an amateur and a professional is knowing how to manage your mistakes. I can't agree more that keeping the patient at the center of what we do is the ultimate goal moving forward. And Mike and Randy, I really appreciate you informing us on this topic. It's been wonderful having you. Well, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes. Thanks for having us. And listeners, please join us for more Verified Rx podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, and send us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Verified Rx is your prescription for success and is brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel. Thanks for listening.